Well, I've heard this happening in the cities, but not in a small community like this. Murder at Sunday service. A church elder shot and killed in Salmon Arm. Trying to raise money for kids to go to school. A children's choir visiting from Africa targeted by a thief. The return to glory. He's still the master. Tiger Woods makes golf history. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Sunday. We begin with a tragedy at a church in Salmon Arm. One man was killed after a shooting during morning services. Global's Jules Knox is outside the church tonight. And Jules, that area remains behind police tape. That's right, Jordan. This area has been blocked off for hours since the morning church service when a man entered and started shooting. He left one man dead, another man was airlifted to hospital, and this community is just reeling, trying to figure out what happened. Yellow tape is strung across the street outside Salmon Arms Church of Christ, where two men were shot Sunday morning. A church elder, 78-year-old Gord Parmenter, died at the scene. So involved, uh, not just at church, but in, in everybody's life, you know, anybody that needed help with anything, they were always there. Emergency services were called to the church around 10.30 in the morning. One man was taken to hospital in an air ambulance, but Gord didn't make it out alive. His son Dave Parmenter says a young man came in during the middle of service, targeted his father, and shot him. He says the shooter then left, returning moments later... Again, shooting at his father before he was tackled to the ground by church members and held until police arrived. The community is reeling. I belong to this church, but I this morning couldn't come. And One of the members called me and told me about it. Yeah, I'm really, really shocked. Dave Parmenter declined an on-camera interview, but told Global News the suspect struggles with mental health issues and was well known to his dad and his family. They've gone through a lot of trauma. Exactly one month ago, Gord Parmenter's house burned down in a suspicious fire. The family believes the arson and the shooting could be related. Police remain tight-lipped but confirm one man is in custody and say they don't believe there's any ongoing threat to the community. Now, police have just released new information. They say the suspect is a 25-year-old man who is in custody with charges pending. They also say they recovered a rifle from the scene. They, we've also since learned that the man who was airlifted to hospital is in stable condition. But as for Parmenter, his family here is struggling Everybody's been stopping by all day long. They've been sharing stories about him. This is a huge loss for the community. And they say it's just tragic that he lost the life in the church that he was so devoted to. Jordan. Jules Knox reporting live tonight in Salmon Arm. A BC man is dead after what appears to be a tragic accident in Thailand. The Bangkok Post is reporting that 25-year-old Spencer Charles plunged to his death. 
from a zip line operated by Flight of the Gibbon in Chiang Mai Saturday. Charles, who is reportedly from Trail, B.C., was traveling in Thailand with a group that included his girlfriend. The newspaper says reports indicate that after Charles was released from the start of the zip line, the cable disconnected and he fell 100 meters to the creek below. Global Affairs Canada confirms a Canadian citizen died in Thailand and that services are being provided to the family. A plea tonight from members of a Ugandan children's choir touring Canada. They made a stop in downtown Vancouver on Saturday afternoon, only to be targeted by car thieves. As Tanya Beja reports, they're now out thousands of dollars in donations and expensive computers. Singers from the Sawuti Children's Choir put on a brave face and a stunning show, despite losing their music and the donations that keep them going. This morning we're just scrubbing for stuff to use, just using whatever people can give us. So the fact that we can't even do what we love doing is the most hurtful thing. This is the window that was that was smashed in. The group from Uganda stopped in Vancouver for a few days as part of a six-month Canadian tour when their truck was targeted by thieves. I was absolutely horrified. I couldn't believe what was in front of my eyes. They performed in the Woodward's atrium Saturday around noon and went for a quick lunch at Costco. When the group returned to their vehicle at Pender and Abbott, the window was smashed. Two laptops with their music, an iPad and passports were stolen, along with a briefcase containing more than $7,000 in donations from a concert the night before. Uh, don't come from Canada. I wouldn't know which neighborhood is safe or not. So we just leave our stuff in the car. The offering just from that previous night uh, would have sponsored 14 children for one year, which is um, in an incredible loss. Vancouver police are investigating the theft, but no arrests have been made. The children say they just want their belongings back so the tour can carry on. We are sad. Yeah, we are very sad. Tanya Beja, Global News. It is the dubious record Metro Vancouver gas stations keep on breaking. Early this morning, a Chevron in Cloverdale was selling gas at $1.70.5. That smashes the previous record of 169.9 set on Friday. Analysts say the sky-high prices are the result of a refinery shutdown in Washington state, increased demand on the supply, and lower mainland taxes. Dueling demonstrations in Maple Ridge today over how to handle the homelessness crisis in that community. Supporters of the mayor gathering at a local park, while those at the Anita Place tent city encampment held their own rally. Grace Key has more on the growing divide. It is easy for the government to hide the addiction and put them in a modular home. But is it right? No! Opposing rallies in Maple Ridge continue to highlight growing tensions on homelessness. At Memorial Peace Park, Mayor Mike Morden spoke to hundreds of people opposed to a low-barrier shelter being built on Burnett Street. We say no to low-barrier modular SROs. Not working in Vancouver for 20 years. Doesn't work in Nanaimo, didn't work in Victoria, not working here on Royal Crescent. Home's good, hey! A counter-rally that started at Anita Place Tent City ended with protesters blocking off Lougheed Highway at 223rd Street. 
They know things will improve once they get them into homes, once they help them. They have to build the housing for the homeless people. The province plans to build 51 new temporary supportive homes for people living at Anita Place, despite the city rejecting the proposal. It's been a long, contentious issue. In February, Maple Ridge was granted a court injunction to address safety issues after a number of fires broke out at the tent city. I hate my children seeing people use drugs. I hate the crime that goes along with addiction. I hate what it has done to my family and I hate what it's done to the city that I love so much. We're rallying to today to say that you won't end homelessness without building homes. Uh, and that the province should not pay any attention to these uh, bigoted voices. Time is running out for those opposed to the plan with construction expected to begin soon. It's estimated to take five months to complete. Grace Key, Global News. BC's police watchdog is investigating a death in Dawson Creek. A spokesperson for the IIO says a man and a woman were arrested by RCMP Saturday morning as part of an ongoing investigation. But while in jail, the female went into medical distress and later died in hospital. The IIO will investigate whether police actions or inactions played a role in her death. B.C. marking a somber anniversary today in the battle against the opioid epidemic. Vancouver City Hall flying the flag at half-mast to mourn the lives lost to overdoses. Today marks exactly three years since the province declared a public health emergency over the explosion in overdose deaths. On that date, B.C.'s top doctor warned as many as 800 people could die in 2016. As Kristen Robinson reports, the death toll topped that prediction and continues to rise. The downtown east side still ground zero of the opioid epidemic. Three years after an unprecedented move by BC's chief medical health officer. This is frankly a crisis. The public health emergency declared over the soaring number of overdose deaths remains in effect. We're still in a crisis. This is still, still people are dying every day. In 2016, nearly 1,000 people died of illicit drug overdoses in B.C. A year later, that number jumped by nearly 50% to close to 1,500. And in 2018, almost unchanged. You know, the drugs are always changing, right? During the same three years, Vancouver lost nearly 1,000 lives to ODs. Really very sad. It's very difficult to even... um fathom that this is going on. Driven by fentanyl and carfentanyl tainted drugs, frontline workers with the Overdose Prevention Society say the solution is a safe drug supply. With, you know, with the overdose prevention sites, we've been able to save, you know, thousands of lives, but, um, you know, people continue to die. We're reviving people and letting them loose to die another day. Mark Bodie lost his 17-year-old son Jack in 2015, one of many recreational users who died after unknowingly taking drugs laced with fentanyl. There was no substance to the strategy behind the emergency. We're addicted to harm reduction. It's not working. He's pushing for harm prevention through education and immediate access to treatment. The Mental Health and Addictions Minister says B.C. is continuing to scale up its response to save more lives. If you don't do anything about the emergency, the emergency will continue. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
A woman was hit and killed in an overnight crash in Abbotsford. The 37-year-old pedestrian was struck by a pickup truck in the 30,000 block of Fraser Highway just after 2 o'clock this morning. She died of her injuries. The driver remained on scene and reported the crash to police. He was not physically hurt. No word on the cause of the crash. No name has been released. A day after a bus crash on Big White Road east of Kelowna sent six people to hospital, roads to the ski resort remained slick. An SUV crashed into the ditch and tipped onto its side on Big White Road this morning, tying up traffic for a time. The Big White Fire Department attended the scene. No one was hurt. The renewed search for a cowboy who vanished in the interior nearly three months ago has officially been suspended. 32-year-old Ben Tyner was last seen on January 26th. Two days later, his saddled horse was discovered by a local hunter. An extensive search turned up no sign of Tyner. This week, RCMP returned to the Nicola Ranch where he worked to scour areas previously covered by snow. Foul play is suspected in the cowboy's disappearance and police are hopeful they will be able to find his remains. Tyner arrived in Merritt from the U.S. three months before he went missing. Morrissey fans in B.C. won't be hearing the singer perform tonight. His two Vancouver shows that were set for tonight and tomorrow have been postponed until October 14th and 15th. Morrissey was forced to delay his first Canadian tour in more than a decade after he was involved in an accident while traveling in Europe. All tickets will be valid for the new dates. TED Talks returns to Vancouver tomorrow. Key speakers at this year's conference at the convention center include Twitter founder and CEO Jack Dorsey, actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Danish architect Bjarka Engels. He designed the Vancouver House Tower that's now being built. This year's theme is joining the search for deeper meaning. The event is sold out with tickets between $5,000 and $25,000 U.S., but you can still pay $500 to watch it online. A local film festival focused on the environment is gaining traction in its second year. As Global's Paul Johnson reports, it's fueled by the West Coast culture of conservation. about these for some face-to-face encounters with some of Earth's most majestic animals. It feels like uh, this is something that is starting to take off under its own power. Elements Film Festival chairman Dwayne Sharman is having a great weekend. In only its second year, Elements is looking like a perfect fit for Vancouver. It's that intersection of, of the environmental world and film is what we're all about here. And as, as you know, as you said, the Vancouver is a hotspot for both of those issues. This year, the festival is screening 58 films from 11 different countries. Canada's Catherine Jankowski is here with her film, The Metamorphosis of a Bottle Cap. Inspired by her years living in East Africa and watching people there bring new meaning to the idea of recycling. And the more times you reuse things, the less garbage there is. So I felt like that was a really important message, and I wanted to make a film about it. Which dovetails exactly with Charmin's vision for the festival. While films like Last of the Big Tuskers may be depressing, 
He also wanted to program in stories that leave viewers with ideas for things they can do in their lives right now. Stories about BC's First Nations fighting for wild salmon and the hopeful vision of organic farmers working to preserve and enhance the seeds that produce our food. When you see what other people are doing, you think, yeah, you know, there's, I can actually do something. There's a piece that I can contribute to trying to make the planet a better place for us all. Paul Johnson, Global News. Tens of thousands took to the streets of downtown Vancouver in the 35th annual Sun Run, and two local runners were among the winners. More than 43,300 people were registered for this year's 10K race, the largest such run in Canada. A runner from Burnaby narrowly beat a Calgary runner in the men's category with a time of 29 minutes and 30 seconds. And a runner from North Vancouver won her third Sun Run title with a time of 32 minutes, 18 seconds in the women's category. You cannot ask for a better day. I mean, it was the ideal temperature, they say, well, for a marathon is 7 Celsius. So we could have had it a few degrees warmer, but for the most part, there was no wind. The roads were dry. Uh, it was great. And as usual, the fans were everywhere along the course. That was really nice. It means home, I guess. You know, this is, I've been running this since I was 17 years old. Um, it's one of the best road races in the world, and it's in my backyard. It's here in Vancouver in front of my friends and family. So um, it's really special. Oh, first time running it. First time oh running it. Oh my god, yeah. It's beyond words. I've had. I've dreamed about this. So I grew up in. Well, I grew up in Vancouver. It's always been such an iconic event. I'm like, I'm speechless. Incredible. Well Congratulations. done, on everyone who took part. Th those are fast times. To do a uh, sub 30 minutes. minute uh, <sighs> 10k is like world-class uh, speed. Yeah, and it's a varied course, too, right? Yeah, it's no. not like you're on a track. I mean, no. the track at 10,000 meters, guys are like 28 minutes, like no. world-class guys. These guys just a minute more through, yeah. the street, through the mean streets of Vancouver. And they were saying, at least for the elite athletes, the weather was ideal, but for some <laughs> of the stragglers, perhaps, they got yeah. caught in a hailstorm. Yeah, and there are waves, right? So everybody right. goes into waves. So if you were in the latter half, you potentially <laughs> uh, saw some hail. And here's what happened. Uh, we had an unstable air mass. Uh, this is the hail that was falling in downtown Vancouver for a few areas. So there were small convective cells that just popped up. And the timing of it, uh, the reports we saw it anywhere between uh, 1030 and a quarter to 11. So you may have gotten caught in that if you were potentially walking or taking a break along the sun run, depending on where you were. Uh, yes, we did see some hail. It'll be much calmer for back to school and the beginning of the work week, but we are still seeing a bit of instability if you're heading along the mountain passes. I'll have more on that coming up very shortly. All right, and everybody loves a comeback story. Mm -hmm. and this is one for the ages. That's right, all hail Tiger <laughs> today at Augusta. It's uh, amazing. You know, a couple of years ago, even Tiger said at the Masters dinner, which they have before the tournament, he didn't think he was even going to play anymore, but he had the surgery and has come back, uh, maybe one of the greatest of all time in sports, and uh, they were loving it today at Augusta. Some great highlights, very emotional at the end for Tiger. We'll hear from him as he won uh, his fifth green jacket. So goes well with that Sunday red that he Yes, had. and it still fits. Yes, it does. Yeah. All right, thanks, guys. Welcome back. She came to Canada as a Syrian refugee when she was just six years old. Nearly three years later, the young refugee is dead. The nine-year-old took her own life amid accusations of bullying. Now supporters of newcomers in Calgary are left trying to figure out how she fell through the cracks.
غزينا كثير سوريا the war was more than you can imagine and we suffered a lot and the the bombing was directed at at us and our home as well they fled war and life in a refugee camp just three years ago but they never imagined their greatest grief and pain would lie ahead she was uh, so beautiful and happy and she always liked uh, and loved to help other people it's tragic the family says amal told them she was facing ongoing bullying at school the couple says they asked the teacher to look into it but says amal never got the help she needed at school at school here they were uh, they, like bullying her all the time and uh, telling her that like, you're ugly or you're you're not beautiful Two weeks before they moved from uh, that school to another school, a kids came uh, to her and told her, even if you move to another school, they're not going to love you. You better just uh, go and kill yourself. Police attended the home on the day Amal died, but say there wasn't enough evidence to launch a criminal investigation into the bullying allegations. The Calgary Board of Education says it worked closely with the school, staff and students, but, quote, have found there was no indication of bullying, nor was any concern raised to the school. Sam Namura works with new Syrian families. He says while some refugee children integrate well, it's common to hear complaints of bullying. You always hear about issues with kids at the school being just like a uh, not comfortable or uh, lots of fighting, lots of angers. Regardless of what may have driven this little girl to take her own life, the community feels like it failed her. The family is now receiving counseling. Some of their six other children still too traumatized to return to school. They're just trying to move forward, cherishing every memory of their precious Amal. I love you. See you. Hi. Jamie Dahl, Global News. Only two days left until Albertans head to the polls in what's turned out to be a nasty provincial election campaign. Candidates from the front-running parties, including the NDP's Rachel Notley and United Conservative Party's Jason Kenney, spending the last few days of the campaign trying to win votes in Tuesday's election. Notley taking aim at Kenney's plans to aggressively go after pipeline critics and immediately proclaim a law that would block energy shipments to B.C., Meantime, nearly 700,000 Albertans cast ballots in early advance polls. That is a record, and almost 27% of eligible voters. In the U.S., a little-known Indiana mayor made it official today, Pete Buttigieg, announcing he's running to be the Democratic presidential nominee in 2020. The 37-year-old is a Rhodes Scholar and Afghanistan War veteran and has essentially been campaigning since January. He is the first openly gay nominee of a major U.S. presidential party. If he wins, he would be the youngest person to become president. More than a dozen other candidates are vying to be the Democratic nominee. At least three people were killed and four others hurt after a small plane crashed at the only airport in Nepal's Everest region. The plane crashed into a parked helicopter during takeoff this morning. The airport is often referred to as the world's most dangerous because of its short runway and difficult approach. Thousands protested in Sudan's capital this weekend, calling on the army to hand over power to a civilian government. The army toppled the country's longtime president, Omar al-Bashir, on Thursday, following months of public protests. The military has now taken charge of the country. 
three days after he was hauled out of the Ecuadorian embassy in London and arrested by British police. We're getting an inside look at how the WikiLeaks founder lived during his years of asylum. A rare look inside the Ecuadorian embassy in London, where Julian Assange lived for almost seven years. He took refuge there in 2012 to avoid extradition amidst a sexual assault investigation. The WikiLeaks founder lived in a tiny space within this embassy. In surveillance video obtained by Spanish newspaper El País, he's seen in shorts and a tank top, skateboarding, meeting with collaborators, and arguing with embassy security. His political asylum granted by Ecuador only protected him inside these walls. But outside, British soil and the potential for arrest. That happened on Thursday. Looking frail, the 47-year-old was dragged from the building by British police. Amid reports, he left his small space filthy. Tonight, Assange remains in British custody. The U.S. is seeking his extradition on a conspiracy charge for allegedly helping Chelsea Manning break into a classified government computer. Sarah Harmon, NBC News, London. A brilliant meteor streaked across the sky in Brazil before burning up in the atmosphere. A camera at the Brazilian Meteor Observation Network at an inland southern town caught the meteor as it entered the atmosphere early Friday. The chunk of debris briefly lit up the dark sky before it disappeared. After falling from space, it burned up over the Atlantic Ocean. A lot of I do's said at Vancouver's Robson Square today. For the last five years, Pop-Up Weddings has hosted Love on the Square, a group of photographers, decorators, florists, and officiants offering up their services to marry couples who put a ring on it. All would-be wives and husbands had to do was bring a $20 donation for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. Last year, 150 couples exchanged vows and $4,000 was raised. Organizers say this is the last year of the event. We need a break. Um, we love doing things that give back to the community and we want to just maybe focus on some other things for a little while. We went for a casual run. and Just like 10K to just start? Just like a 10K sun run. And, you know, we decided to, oh, it's a good day. Let's just keep running and run over right here to Love in a Square. <laughs> so you were trying to run away, but she caught you, yeah? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think they win the day of on for being yes. the most productive couple in the Lower Mainland. <laughs> get up early, run, uh, do the sun run, and, and get, get married. married all in one day. What a gust of shame. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully they didn't catch the hail that was out there. Uh, I think they were quite quick and quite early this morning. I glance what we're seeing at. So it has been a mixed bag today. A few areas, though, got into some sunny breaks, and this is typical for April. Uh, temperatures right now sitting at 10 degrees. Highs today were closer to 11. A few spots climbing up to 12 and close to the average for this time of the year that sits at 13 degrees. Numbers are your current numbers sitting at 6 for Prince George. Good evening into Prince Rupert at 8. Whistler a bit cooler already sitting at 3 degrees. And here's the instability that we're still tracking this evening and overnight. And we are going to hang on to this cloud cover, a chance of showers all the way in towards our Monday morning. For the interior, the concern if you're heading along the mountain passes, the Kootenai Pass, and I'll show you that tower cam and some of the mounts in just a moment. So overnight tonight, we do still have cloud cover for 
tomorrow Monday morning. It'll be a chance of showers and then a nice clearing and break will be for the afternoon. Temperatures tomorrow getting up to 12 degrees, a break on our Tuesday and then overnight towards our Wednesday, we could see the potential for some more rainfall. For the Kootenai Pass, the special weather statement is still in effect. We do have some convective cells just pushing in. It'll be this evening and overnight with the potential to see five and up to 10 centimeters and then easing off through the day tomorrow. Across the northern half of the province, the peace, early morning hours and higher elevations. We're looking at wet flurries, changing over to showers and sunny for your Tuesday, Wednesday. Whitehorse dry and sunny over the next three days. Areas along the coast, though, rain and heavy at times with temperatures up to eight. Caribou and central interior will be up to nine tomorrow. We are seeing that shower activity pushing in for Tuesday. And Columbia and Kootenai, the snow level will be at 1,200 meters by the afternoon tomorrow. Most areas, it's still just a chance of showers. Thompson, Okanagan up to 11. An increase in cloud cover on Tuesday, but on Wednesday, temperatures will start to bump up with a high of 18. Most areas near Whistler tomorrow, it's a partly cloudy sky, a chance of showers for your Tuesday. And along the island, northern and central sections will still see more cloud cover for the morning hours, a chance of showers, and then a clearing for all areas across the island with some sunny breaks. Five-day forecast, a nice break will be on the way for the afternoon. Temperatures up to 12 degrees. Tuesday, also a dry start. And then towards the evening, that round of rain is going to push in. Temperatures over the next few days will be sitting at 12 degrees. Wednesday onwards, though, still remaining quite unsettled. Through the day tomorrow, though, looks like it'll be one of the drier ones. Tonight's weather window, a great shot that was taken today in Cranbrook from Marnie. Very nice. And it was the last day of skiing on Cypress Mountain, by the way. Ah, And this was their last day of snowmobiling, they set up in the uh, Kootenays. Very nice. All till next year. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. There was a parade of puppies at Newark Airport in New Jersey this weekend, but these dogs have a very important job. They're training to become guide dogs, and a busy airport makes for a challenging classroom. Kara, sit. Good girl. Practice makes perfect, especially when you're a pup. And for this puppy parade, learning to sit is just the start and a lifetime of helping and support. It's like a really good feeling to know that like I'm helping somebody who needs help and who needs a dog. 11-year-old Hannah is one of the youngest volunteers with the Seeing Eye, an organization based in Morris County that trains dogs to help visually impaired people with all kinds of tasks. Teaching basic obedience and socialization, she's working with six-month-old Hachi. The goal on this day, get used to crowds in public places. We're walking around getting them used to like all the sounds and a lot of people. Not such an easy task at a busy airport. There are all the stairs, the escalators, and of course all those overwhelming baggage carousels. Easy does it. You got this, Hachi. We'll be going down to the baggage. We'll walk the pups around the baggage rack so that when they're placed with their blind person, they're comfortable with what they might be exposed to. So these dogs are anywhere between a couple months and a couple years old, and there's about 80 of them training this weekend alone. Including retrievers, poodles, and shepherds, these seeing-eye dogs undergo other training with specialized instructors. Most will graduate and be matched with a person right around the time they turn two and will live the rest of their lives making someone else's better. At Newark Airport, Mark Liverman, TV 1055. The world's biggest airplane made its first successful flight in California's Mojave Desert. The Strata Launch has a wingspan that's a whopping 117 meters long. It's designed to act as a flying launch pad for satellites. It flew for two and a half hours before making a safe landing. The aircraft can carry loads weighing up to 59,000 kilograms, or roughly 130 full-grown elephants. 
The company hopes to have the Strata launch up and running by 2022. So we wanted to mention the names of the Sunrun winners. Mm-hmm. Justin Kent of Burnaby, he had the time of 29 minutes and 30 seconds. And Natasha Wodak of North Vancouver topped the women's category. Race time of 32 minutes Mm -hmm. and 38 seconds. It deserves the recognition. Incredible running. Absolutely. International field, too. Yeah. So a lot of people admitting today they were wrong about (laughs) Tiger Woods. Uh, Yeah, maybe even including Tiger. Uh, (laughs) Incredible things. Uh, Thanks so much, Jordan. There are comeback stories in sports, and then there are tiger-sized comebacks like we saw today at Augusta National. Somehow, the great ones always find a way to author a fairy tale ending. And Tiger Woods pulled off what many think, including himself, was impossible. And that was for Tiger to return to the top of the heap in golf after all of his physical and personal battles over the years. He had won four Masters Green Jackets between 1997 and 2005 and 14 majors by 2008. But since then, nothing until today. Tiger, strolling to the opening tee, two years ago at the Champions Dinner, thought he would never golf again, never mind contend for another green jacket. Fireworks early today, golfers going off the first and tenth tees to avoid incoming weather. 16th hole, Bryson DeChambeau, the mad professor, seven iron, perfectly calculated. Went in the hole for his first career ace. Nice to have it at Augusta, and he was happy about that. Finished tied for 29th at four under. Tiger had an early bogey, but he got it back at the seventh. Fantastic approach shot here to just a couple of feet from the hole. He birdied. Now Francesco Molinari, the uh, overnight leader, made bogey there, so Tiger was just a shot back at that point. Of course, all the drama starts right around the turn, around Amen Corner, and at 12, Molinari, who led until he got to the par 312, puts it in the drink, made double bogey. Now Tiger made par, so he was tied for the lead and walking with confidence. Tiger played a patient game, knew when to go for it, like the par 513th, bringing it home in two. Had himself a long eagle putt, he wound up with a routine two putt birdie, and Tiger had the lead. 15th hole now, as we watch him uh, just knock in the birdie putt, and with every time Tiger would knock one in, the crowd roars would get louder and louder. 15th Tiger's second shot on the par five once again. Safely on the green, another two-putt birdie for Tiger following that game plan to a tee. Molinari, meanwhile, who you expect would not unravel. He's so calm under pressure after winning the uh, Open Championship last year. Third shot at 15, clips a branch. Second double bogey of the back nine, finished tied for fifth. 16th hole, the scene of so many great moments for Tiger at Augusta. Well, here is another one. Tiger's tee shot, a thing of beauty. Takes the slope. Tiger asking it to go in. Come on, come on. And it almost does. Settles to three feet below the hole. What a shot. Tiger will then roll in the birdie putt. And that gives him a two-shot lead. And the roars are deafening at Augusta. They could feel something special was about to happen. All that was left was the walk up 18. His mom there, his kids watching, cheering him on, and it's a tap in for the win, and Tiger Woods is back on top, and the emotions for the celebration were spine tingling. Big hugs for his son, Charlie, and for his mom as well, who has been there with him through the tough times. One of the great comebacks 
to the top of the heap in sports ever. Tiger's back. Hear him roar. Oh, now I know why I'm balding. Um, <laughs> this stuff is hard. <laughs> just, yeah, uh, just to come back here and then to play as well as I did and did all the things, all the little things well this week um, and to do it here. Uh, this has meant so much to me and my family, uh, this tournament, and uh, to have everyone here. Um, it's something I'll never, ever forget. All right, what a story. NHL tonight. Speaking of comebacks, the Jets would like one. Down two games to none against the Blues. Blues rookie goalie Jordan Bennington. The difference in those two games in Winnipeg. Another strong start tonight. Absolutely robs Matthew Perot, one of 14 first-period saves for the 25-year-old. Blues weathered the Jets' early push. And then on a late power play, David Perron rips the screen wrister past Connor Hellebuck. one nothing Blues after one. But in the second... The Jets get busy. They tied it and then take the lead. Jacob Truba, great feed to Patrick Lyonnais, who beats Bennington for his third of the series. 2-1 Jets. And then on the power play, Kyle Connor. That is a ripper inside the post. 3-1 Jets after two. They're now up 4-2 in the third as they try to get on the board in this series. Game three, Islanders and Penguins. New York held serve at home. First period, Isles down 1-0, but Jordan Eberle ties it. Wicked sharp angle wrist shot there. His third of the series. Had never scored a playoff goal before this. 1-1 and then a minute later, Brock Nelson shooting on the 2-on-1. Great shot. New York's got a lot of depth and have given the Penguins a lot of problems so far. Third period still 2-1 and Leo Komarov provides the insurance and the Isles have the Penguins on the brink. They now lead the series 3-0. After the 4-1 victory, Sid Crosby, zero points in this series. Only four teams have ever come back from a 3-0 deficit in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And Lightning and Blue Jackets, Tampa down 2-0. And without superstar Nikita Kucherov suspended for tonight's game because of a dirty hit late in Game 2, Matt Duchesne gives Columbus a 1-0 lead early second, converting the sharp angle rebound with the backhander. And then on the power play, Oliver Bjorkstrand will blow it past Andre Vasilevsky. Jackets blew a 2-0 series lead versus Washington last year. Not about to let it happen again. 3-1 3-1 the final tonight. They lead the series 3-0. Women's World Hockey Championship. Canada-Russia playing for bronze. Canada failing to qualify for the final for the first time in the 19-year history of the tournament. Upset by the Finns yesterday, but no problems today. Natalie Spooner on the wraparound. The Russians had just six shots on goal the entire game. Canada scored seven goals. It's a Rebecca Johnston scoring there. 7-0 in the final as Canada wins the bronze. As expected, the USA won gold over Finland, but it was tough. 2-1 in a shootout. And National Lacrosse League from Rogers Arena this afternoon. Vancouver, uh, Vancouver Warriors still alive for the playoffs, but barely needed to win out and really took it to visiting Philadelphia today. Jordan McBride with one of his five goals. Logan Schuss makes it 10-2 in the second period. Keegan Ball will set up Mitch Jones, who scored four, one of nine assists on the day for Ball, who also had five goals for a 14-point game, 19-12 the final. Warriors can still make the playoffs if they win their last two, and Colorado loses its last two games. 
Welcome back. The final month of the English Premiership uh, League season is down to the final two. T- is down to two teams, Liverpool and Manchester City. If the teams, uh, if uh, the teams both went out, Man City would finish on top. But Liverpool continues to apply the pressure. After a slight wobble last month, Liverpool are back in form and they flex their muscles today against Chelsea at Anfield. Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool needing the full three today and uh, his lads delivered with some spectacular soccer. Liverpool with mesmerizing ball movement. There are six touches before Sadio Mane heads it in. That is top of the world quality. 1-0 Liverpool in front and then just two minutes later, Mohamed Salah with an encore an absolute missile from 22 yards out. He has scored some amazing goals, but that has to be near the top of the list. Liverpool win 2-0, 85 points now to lead the EPL with just four games to go. Earlier, Raheem Sterling in Manchester City at Crystal Palace. It didn't take City long to get on the board. A beautiful through ball to Sterling, who will finish to the top of the net. 1-0 Manchester City. And in the second half, it's Sterling again, this time off a fantastic pass from Leroy Sané. Quick one-time shot by Sterling for his second. Crystal Palace got one back, but in stoppage time, Gabriel Jesus seals the deal. 3-1 Man City win. They're still two points behind Liverpool, but with a game in hand. However, Man City's schedule much tougher. They get Man United and Tottenham in their next two league matches. NBA playoffs, Milwaukee Bucks, number one seed in the East. Taking on the Detroit Pistons in game one. It's all Milwaukee. The Bucks live off the three ball. Pat Connaughton from 30 feet gives Milwaukee a 20 point lead after one. MVP candidate Giannis Antetokounmpo always on the highlight reel, throws it down with authority. Bucks win it easily, 121. 86. Earlier, another Eastern Series, Celtics and Pacers from Boston. Pacers led by seven at the half, but Boston outscored Indiana 26-8 in the third. Kyrie Irving led all scorers with 20, gave Boston a five-point lead. And then in the final moments of the quarter, Terry Rozier with the running 27-footer to beat the buzzer. Boston takes game one, 84-74. And some baseball to finish off. Rays and Jays from Toronto, Tampa, looking like a contender, off to an 11-4 start, seventh inning, 3-1 Rays until Freddie Galvis hits a solo shot to center, cuts the lead to 3-2, but Tampa puts it away with a five-run eight, two coming on this two-run shot from pinch hitter Guillermo Heredia as Tampa takes two of three from Toronto, 8-4 the final. Mariners also lost 3-2 to Houston. All right, you have to see this video. A global viewer capturing a spectacular sight off Bowen Island earlier this week. Whoa, there's a whale. Christoph Hasse recording this incredible encounter off the west side of the island. The longtime Bowen resident was on the beach Friday when he spotted what he thought were dolphins. As they got closer, he realized they were actually sea lions fighting to stay alive. The marine mammals were being pursued by predators. As I pull out my phone, we notice that there's, there's actually whales chasing the, uh, the sea lions. And, and then we're, you know, they were, they were starting hunting them. And, and, uh, and later on, we noticed that there were actually seals there, too. Everyone was going crazy. I mean, I think you can, you can gather a little bit from the, the atmosphere that's uh, coming across there. But, you know, to be honest, it, it's, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't capture at all what it was like to be there. And we were all, you know, even 20 minutes after they were gone, we were still kind of mesmerized by what just, what just happened. 
Incredible. You know, mm. Bowen Island, it's only a 20-minute ferry ride from the hustle and bustle, and you get to see that. I guess the ocean's not like a Finding Nemo. I guess not. It can be dangerous down there, Yeah, unless you're a killer whale. Exactly. <laughs> Quick word on the weather? Uh, we are going to see uh, some cloud cover, chance of showers for the morning hours, and then some sunny breaks for the afternoon, and then unsettled for our Tuesday onwards. That is the Sunday News Hour. Thanks for watching. We're back at 11. Good night.